0: Namaste, and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast, where we are exploring the mystical in the mundane and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern day living, yoga, mythic, and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kilkenny, and today I am ebullient to continue this sumptuous conversation in part two with Sally Kempton, teacher, writer, and meditation powerhouse. She is a master of meditation, yoga philosophy, and practical tantric philosophy. I met Sally when she was a monk for 20 years, where she intensively studied the texts of Vedanta, yoga, and the North Indian Tantric tradition of Kashmir Shaivism. Her current work interprets the wisdom of the Tantras for mature contemporary aspirants, drawing on depth psychology and neuroscience. She is an international teacher who teaches meditation as a process of inner exploration in which the practitioner learns to integrate heart, mind, and body in order to experience our natural state of wisdom and love. Sally is also the author of the exceedingly popular books, Meditation for the Love of It and awakening Shakti which are must reads for any serious or curious meditators welcome Sally to the modern mystic podcast part two of this episode if you haven't listened to part one yet and that's delicious conversation definitely go back on whichever platform you're listening to because you don't want to miss part one of her amazing download. Meanwhile, I'm just going to pick up where we left off and ask if you could speak on the term tantra, because you had mentioned emotions in that Buddhist setting. And in the yogic setting, the way I learned to work directly with feelings was through the rasas and the the study of emotions in the umbrella philosophy of Tantra. And it's just become so popular. Can you believe it? I know. It that's
1: amazing, isn't it? Ten years. Yeah.
0: It used to be when I was a kid, I wouldn't say it because it, there used to be such a strong connotation of Tantra with sex. And I'm curious if you could speak about that. What is Tantra? What are some modern applications of it today? And what do you attribute this resurgent surge of interest? And And then, of course, is it always connected to sex or not? Which we know the answer already, but oh. I'd love to hear you speak of it.
1: <laughs> well, well, as you know, Kilkenny, there's, there are many, there are different, there are different expressions of Tantra. Um, you know, for instance, the word Tantra actually refers to a, a group of texts that focused on uh, mantras, on visualizations, um, often for the sake of increasing your, your personal power you know, not even necessarily devoted to the divine, except in the sense that the tantricas would, would recognize that through certain practices, certain mantras, you could connect to a power that you could then harness and use. And that I would say is the, let's call it the, um, the popular uh, application of tantra for, for many generations in India. Uh, many people that i many indians i know who are you know traditional uh, you know who have relationships with the temple for example will have a a, a practitioner or you know a, a tantra they you know they're called tantrikas somebody who they go to when they're having physical problems or when somebody's being mean to them you know, or when they need a when they need some energy behind their career, they'll go to a tantrika and the tantrika will kind of intervene. So you know, in a way, that level of tantra is like kind of like magic. It, so, so there's that level of tantra, and uh, and then there's also the kind of underground um, sexualized aspect of tantra, but. In general, in in truly tantric circles, uh, and certainly in modern tantra in the West, I would say two things. First, uh, I and I, I think you as well, practice what's sometimes called non-dual tantra. So it's it's based on the understanding that this that this universe is one substance, and you know that everything is part of the divine weaving. One of the translations of of the word tantra is weaving and that anything in this universe you know f- and especially your own body can be c- can be a vehicle for touching the divine so a lot of the the beauty of tantra for a modern person is that it let it is that it valorizes embodiment it sees the world as sacred um and it and it's full of techniques for you know for actually uh using your ordinary daily experience as a as a vehicle for entering you know, in entering into higher realms higher states and it's i think the thing that many modern people yoga practitioners especially love about tantra is that is that it is sensual you know it recognizes the sensuality of the body as is uh, not as not sensual for its own sake but sensual as an aspect of the bliss of the divine you know so tantra very much focuses on learning how to experience the the innate blissfulness even in unpleasant experiences and yes sex you know sec, there is a sexual tantra uh you know as i'm sure you know in which you you know you enter in, in during during a sexual act or during sexual arousal you enter into the the felt experience of the deepest form of sexual energy that that you can uh that you can get in contact with and you work with the energy rather than with the uh the the arousal itself and the connection with the other person so You know, sexual energy uh, is—it's one of the the main energetic fields that a that a normal person can access, which is transcendent in its own way. So you know, there. So there. Yes, there are sexual practices in tantra, but they're—you know—they're a tiny percentage of the this incredible. A panoply of practices that the tantric traditions give you. So, and my favorite of all the tantric practices, and the ones, the one that I have found most helpful is the practice of tuning into the energy of an emotion, especially a strong emotion like like fear, like anger, like lust, and kind of zeroing into the energy behind the emotion. So, and you know when you can do that, and this is one of the things that the Tantras excel at, when you can do that, you start to realize that behind positive experience, negative experience, and especially intense experience uh there's a doorway into the infinite so so that's you know that's to me is the heart of Tantra finding doorways to the infinite in the body uh and in you know, in every, really every aspect of life.
0: Mm, I love your description. It's just so, so exciting. And I think people will really, really resonate because it really is about, and, and you know, I think so much of, of the path of Tantra, and there, there are many paths, but as a as a mystical path, because of what you said about how every aspect of life can be used as a, as a doorway and a threshold in which to walk towards experiencing the infinite and the universe and the divine. And, you know, whether it's feeding your kids, whether it's, you know, doing your dishes, it's, you know, moving into the experience more towards the present moment experience. And as we move towards those experiences, often the sensing of the invisible happens more.
1: Yes, it definitely does. It definitely does. I mean, one of the great insights that people like Eckhart Tolle and, you know, other non-dual teachers offer is, is that when you're really poised in the present moment, that you're, you know, there's, there's no problem. <laughs> you know, there's the capacity for delight. Uh, you know that just the just the space between one breath and another, the space when you're you're bringing yourself just fully into your body or your heart or you know or the embrace of your child or your beloved uh, or a tree, you know that in that in that moment in when you're in full present moment awareness of anything you're you know you're you're in touch with God.
0: Hmm. So yeah, it reminds me of that Thich Hanh, beautiful, I don't know if you've heard him speak or write of this, about how he meditates on the tree,
1: uh-huh. and the
0: tree becomes more beautiful than any kind of cathedral or anything, because the sun is in the tree, and then the water is in the tree, and essentially, you know, he goes through a whole thing, everything is in the tree when you're fully present, 100% of you with the tree. Yeah, yeah. And that's the vision of the mystic. That's the, the vision of, of that experience. Of totally. In, in, the, in you know, the, the, the infinite and the finite as the Walden Pond poets wrote about, right?
1: Yes, 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 yes. Well, so
0: fascinating because when you were talking, and thank you for this because I don't know how I haven't thought of this, I don't know, ever, but definitely not in the last decade or so, how with the sexual energy and energetic fields – so often in our Western experience, at least, we think of religion and spirituality as far away from sexual energy. Right. And it's so the tantric philosophy is so different because it holds it, as you said, as it holds emotions, as it holds anger, fear, and the full gamut of human experiences as almost equal, right? As almost, at least an equal doorway, as, as you described, in which to experience the divine.
1: Yes. Is that true? That is true. I would say, you know, functionally, uh, obviously, states of joy and calm are uh, are are way more pleasant to experience in states of anger and fear. <laughs> you know, so
0: so <laughs> I wouldn't
1: say they are equal in our normal experience, even though mm-hmm. many of us live in states of anger and fear. But, yes, they're equally um accessible doorways to the divine and, and I, their I,
0: opportunities their if if we if we view them and open to perceiving them in that way
1: yeah yeah and you know the one of my early teachers used to talk about polarities dualities and sexuality and spirituality are one of those polarities uh you know that it's not as it's not as rigid as good evil <laughs> but it, it but you're right. They are. They have, in most religious traditions, and in the world in general, um, considered to be opposite. And I won't go into the conversation about how religious leaders get get bamboozled by their own sexuality. We all know that. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I the the thing about tantra also that it's important to recognize is that while the tantric viewpoint uh, is accessible to everybody, and I think really helpful. That actual the actual practice of tantra is is it's an advanced practice. In other words, it really is meant for people who have cooked their mind, right? You know, who have worked with their emotions, who are not completely you know they're not completely raw. So, it's tantra works best for for practitioners who really have have entered into their own practice uh, because you know. It is, it is very easy if you're if you're a naive beginning tantrika to go oh everything is God so anything is okay, which is obviously not a not a functional way to live in the world and doesn't make the world better. Uh, so you know we need to have a kind of an understanding and personal discipline in order to just open completely to, you know, to what tantra can be.
0: Mm, yeah, that's such an important point to say. And thank you for saying that. Because, right, when people go around, oh, it's all good. It's all good. It's like, yeah. no, that's not tantra. It's right. not all good.
1: Exactly. <laughs> actually, yeah. actually, you're in denial and dissociation.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which are, you know, staples of the spiritual community yeah. and path as well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And Sally has so many beautiful offerings where you actually offer specific tantric practices that people can work with their emotions. I've heard you teach, which is one of my favorite, finding that common denominator energy, I think of it, as you, you just so beautifully teach that and how to move through that in a safe way. And so I wanted to ask you, because you do so much with these teachings in working with goddess energy and i know you mentioned a lot of your your students and clients you know call and refer to 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 god as goddess and if you would be willing to to share a little bit more about how you use and work with indian goddesses and the divine feminine to invite the the many dimensions of shakti more fully into your life and how we can do that into our lives to help us evolve transform and even create
1: Uh, this is a big subject kilkenny (laughs) i'll try i'll try to say something about it in a minute or two i mean in in a short time so you know in the in the indian tradition and in the tantric tradition as you know the understanding is that the ultimate reality has two faces one of which is still is transcendent uh, is is what religions think of as god uh you know as the formless divine there's another face which is dynamic which is creative uh which has the nature of overflowing creativity and that's you know so these are called in in my tradition they're called shiva for the still transcendent and shakti for the uh you know for the dynamic creative which has become your body and the world so you know in the sense that in traditional religions we say that god creates the world what we say is that in tantra is that shakti the dynamic aspect of the absolute manifests the world within her own body so which is one of the re- one of the reasons that the tantric practitioners and the tantric sages understand the world as divine because we understand the world as shakti and in this process, and I have found this fascinating over the years, uh, in the process of manifesting universes, Shakti takes subtle forms, subtle divine forms, which, you know, which in most of the Eastern traditions, uh, which are called deities. So they're they're um, infinitely subtle and powerful beings who many people experience in a what i would call a humanoid form you know in the form of a of a beautiful woman or in the form of a of a um, well muscled yogi which is you know how shiva is often often depicted and <clears throat> these forms are vortexes through which you can experience the the deeper uh level of communion with that divine force so all of these forms if you if you're with them deeply enough will open up into an experience of what's behind everything so we use the goddess forms as doorways you know not so much as idols or icons but as uh, you know, as meditational forms that can in the process of meditating on them change the way you see yourself because the essence of tantric deity practice is to internalize the divine, to make your own body divine. And one of the ways you do this is by imagining and creating a relationship with a divine form, which in Sanskrit is called the Ishta Devata or personal deity. And, you know, working with a mantra, working with a visualization. And as you do... In a relatively short period of time, in my experience, uh, you begin to feel that you have a kind of personal connection with divine forces, which comes, I think, because you know we humans are in bodies; we're 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 in form. It's much easier for us to to connect to the divine if we if we can if we can give it a specific form, even though we know that it has no form ultimately. So mm. that so that's that's what goddess practice really is it's a it's a it's a very powerful doorway into self-transformation and one of the things that i got fascinated with and it's you know ultimately ended up as my book awakening shakti is how the the different deities in in the indian goddess pantheon they actually have distinct energies so as you tune into one of these forms you you're actually tuning into their to their energy. So, for instance, with the goddess Durga, uh, who's particularly popular among yoga practitioners, you know, you tune into intrinsic strength and warrior spirit. If you're tuned into the goddess Lakshmi, you you're tune, You know, you're tuning into the energy of abundance and harmony and love. And if you're if you're meditating with Saraswati into wisdom and knowledge, and meditating on these goddesses will will actually um, engender in you the the coming forth of these qualities because we all have these qualities. They're just buried for most of us. And by identifying in that way with a, a goddess form, you begin to, to recognize that you yourself carry those divine qualities inside yourself. It's a kind of a shortcut. <clears throat> and as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, um speaks to the he speaks to this issue a lot he says that it's very difficult to meditate on the unmanifest on the formless so as so but it's much easier to meditate on the form so in a certain way this you know the practice of of um let's say iconicizing the divine and then meditating on it is can be very very powerful if you understand that what you're meditating on is not the form, but what's behind it.
0: Mm, So fascinating and really illuminating. And and so your gorgeous description of what you just talked about can be a real practice. And as you were speaking of it, to me, I felt how it really can be an initiation, right? If we claim, okay, I'm say and in my experience particularly like if I personally am feeling a lacking of a certain energy within myself or I'm in a relationship and things are imbalanced and so when I think about okay what is what am I needing to bring forth and take responsibility on my part you know thinking and reflecting on these goddess energies and then focusing on the one that I feel as you spoke of wanting to engender or elicit within myself, then spending time, whether it's, you know, listening to the goddess's name chanted or printing out a picture on the computer and looking at her form or studying her different attributes or even mythic yogic stories can then help elicit this within myself, these qualities that I can then bring into my relationship or situation that I'm, I'm working with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So
0: profound, and then it becomes an initiation. It's it's almost circles back to the first question I asked about how, as modern mystics, how can we create ourselves these more quote unquote mini initiations? Right, because really, our moment to moment life can be thought of as that if we're moving towards each moment, like you mentioned beautifully, moving towards each experience with curiosity, moving into the present moment, as opposed to checking out, numbing out, fight or flighting it. And and this goddess work is one way to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I mean, let's, you know, let's get clear about another thing, which is that most of us really need something to take refuge in and, you know, something, somewhere to turn in moments of precarity. So having a, a, a deity form is a, is a tremendous help in those moments. I mean, I often feel like that, you know, that the the prevailing practices of Christian mysticism and Christian worship, uh, that Jesus performs that function, you know, he is that for, for so many Christians, um, the refuge, right? Mm. And and I, what I discovered is that each one of these goddesses, you know, like the great sages, the great saints, uh, is a refuge. So when you're in trouble, when you're, when you're worried, when you're upset, you can, you know, and you want to ask for help. You can ask for help of the goddess, and uh, as you practice that, you you actually start to realize that help comes. So I, you know, I would say, and I think the purpose of religion for most humans since the beginning of time has has really, in many ways, been a a way to um, to find refuge. You know, to 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 find a let's call it divine parent, you know, who can take care of you when, not, when there's when you don't know what to do for yourself.
0: Mm, and, that is so so important. Thank you yeah. for for bringing this up because it's so true. As we know, if we're living life well, life is hard often, yeah. yeah. And if we're choosing to engage and evolve, then especially in this day and age of Kali Yuga, which is a term for the intensity of the the world that we're feeling right now collectively, you know, we really, as humans, are seeking refuge. And even meditation, like as we commit to that practice, I know a lot of students will say to me, you know, I just can't meditate. I can't. And it's like, just, just keep showing up. And I love even a little advice from you as we punctuate this for those people because there are a lot of people. um, But when one really just commits to that consistent practice, it starts to, for so many I've seen time and time again, starts to dawn on them. And it has been for myself how the meditation practice and those practices we spoke of, of mantra, and just going in and taking those quiet pockets to do that inside job becomes a sanctuary, becomes yeah. a place to literally go. That's you. It's your body. It's your abode of your body. And in that body, you've created this wellspring and a place to rest one's weary self as well. Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. Such a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful point. And for those people who feel like, oh, my mental log and I'm, I'm constantly thinking and Dealing with my ego, judging my meditation, or it's not that comforting, you know. What are are your words, or how long should people be trying to start a meditation practice? Because that's the thing I hear the most, I think, and I'm sure you do too people's difficulty, quote unquote, what they think is not meditating, or what they don't like about the experience in their meditation, and then they give up. And so, how to cultivate Compassionately, and what are some parameters if one wants to restart a meditation practice or start one?
1: Uh, well, first of all, if you if you want to start a meditation practice, I would the the most efficient thing to do I have found is to just make a decision that for the next three weeks, because twenty one days is a good it's the you know it's sort of the minimum uh, amount of time it takes to start a new habit. So. If you say to yourself, for the next 21 days, I'm going to meditate for, I'm going to sit for 10 or 15 minutes a day, and I'm going to do a simple practice, and I'm just not going to get up until the end of the meditation time, no matter what is going on, and I will keep bringing my mind back to the practice. So what begins to happen as you do that uh, is that um, a groove gets formed in your mind, as some got to, gets formed in your mind so that especially if you're meditating at the same time every day your your body will want to meditate you know the way the way we always brush our teeth I mean most of us you know we, <laughs> we uh, it there's you know there's like there's a or we always eat um, you know if we're in if we're in a healthy relationship to our body <clears throat> We'll, we eat breakfast at a certain time, more or less. Within a couple of hours, we eat dinner at a certain time, more or less. And the body gets hungry when it's time to eat. In the same way, you can train your body, uh, your psyche, to get hungry for meditation, uh, especially if you, if you make a point of doing it at the same time every day. It's, it's, it's a little more difficult to form the habit if you're meditating at different times during the day. But you can do it. And I and the thing is that, first of all, meditation is a skill, and it takes practice. So it is important to realize that you're gonna you're probably gonna fail at it for a, a while <laughs> before you succeed. Just as you know you've you know in my case, I always had a hard time with math. You know when I was t- when I was studying algebra, I actually had to get a tutor. You know to To explain to me the the nuances of it, and then I got it right. And I meditation is it's not an intellectual pursuit like like algebra um, or beyond, but but it's it's something that you know there there we need to learn the pathways of meditation. We need to learn how to stand up to the mind uh, without dissing the mind and we and we need to learn how to let the stuff that comes up come up and to become a witness to what's coming up so in other words when you meditate seriously you're going to have days when all you can feel is your frustration about some problem in your life uh you're going to you're going to have times when you're just bored you know you're going to you're going to feel completely resistant to it. And again, when you're starting the practice and for quite a while afterwards, it's very important to be aware of these obstructions that come up and and make a decision that you're not going to let them toss you off the mat. So give yourself a short amount of time to meditate. 15 minutes is pretty good. Uh, But also understand that Essentially, if you can sit for longer, you'll drop into meditation. You, you, know, you, you won't have to be trying anymore because there is a natural movement, inward movement that we can trigger when we sit. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. I always suggest to people is that you start with 15 minutes. You add, see if you can add five minutes a week and bring it up to half an hour or 45 minutes and you'll find that it will naturally unfold. You know, and you'll get there'll be times when you're when you, you do nothing but think, and there are times when you're totally bored, and there are times when you can hardly sit there. But you begin to realize that you know there's some days like that and there are other days that are completely peaceful and blissful, but that when you come out of meditation, and this is really important, when you come out of meditation, no matter how uh confused you were or how emotionally upset you were just sitting in meditation for a few minutes is going to give you the experience afterwards that actually you're fine you can cope so meditation is a really good way to uh, take yourself out of problem consciousness and it's the regular practice uh that that does that so you know one of the ways to get yourself on the mat is to remind yourself of all the good effects that that meditation is going to have on you and to realize that it's something that will really make your life better and two that it's enough just to sit and mm. keep bringing your mind back to the practice uh, and that way you develop the you know i call them the the focus muscles you know there's you get a habit you develop a habit of Uh, of letting your mind run on while you focus on a mantra or the breath. So um, if you would like, we can end this with a a brief meditation.
0: That would be perfect. Perfect. Could I just say one thing or two things that encapsulate what you said? Because I would love to highlight them from the listeners. Because you just spew just incredible wisdom and lay down so much. And I love what you said about just to sit is enough. Because as Westerners, we think, how could that be enough, right? Right. Especially if the mind's going and you're a new meditator. Or if you've been meditating 30 years and your mind's going and you might feel like, oh, you know. But really just showing up is enough. And as you also alluded to, which I just wanted to highlight, any relationship that's worth having, we know there are ups, there are downs. We don't throw out the relationship with our best friend because we have, you know, a, a, a boring day. Right. <laughs> right. And so any any relationship worth having is going to have a, a myriad of experiences you know, that feel, quote, unquote, positive or, quote, unquote, negative. And, and so meditation is, I think of it as a relationship, and it's one of the relationships I have with with myself. Yeah. And I, I, I like to say, too, to people, like, when you start to meditate, to me it reminds me of when you shower or don't. Like, uh-huh. if you start meditating consistently, as you mentioned, and I just want to highlight that consistency and that commitment to say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to do this no matter what, then eventually, if if you skip a day or if you do it a a lot shorter of a time, the rest of the day, I can always feel it. Like right. Like, if you know you took a shower, but hopefully it's not bad enough that other people don't know, but right. on the inside, how you can, like, feel that quality, I think that that one can feel that often, don't you?
1: Absolutely. And meditation is a great shower for the mind.
0: (laughs) Let's experience anything you have to offer. Thank you.
1: So why don't we find a posture where the body can be upright? And you can do this on a chair if you're sitting on a chair. Uh, If you're in the car, you should stop the car (laughs) before you start to (laughs) meditate. Um, Or maybe... Save the meditation part for when you're home. Uh, and the most important thing in a meditation posture is simply that the back be upright so that the energy can move uh, through the center of the body because the energy that, that awakens you tends to move vertically. Uh, so just find your posture. Let your shoulder blades release onto the back. Let your chest lift and open. Let your eyelids rest softly one on the other. And we'll just take a moment to scan the body, just noticing the toes, the the feet, noticing if there's tension in them, and just bringing your awareness up through the body, through the ankles, the calves, the knees, the thighs. Don't worry if you don't feel like you completely tuned into the body. Uh, Just the intention is enough and bring your awareness now into the lower back and the lower abdomen. And you should be finding as you bring your awareness into the torso, into this part of the body, that there's more of a sense of connection. And feel your chest and lungs and shoulders, let your awareness come down your upper arms your forearms and into your palms and hands. And now bring your awareness into the face, into the chin and the cheeks. And be aware of the inside of your mouth and your tongue. And bring your awareness to your eyes and feel that the eyes soften. And say to yourself in a very loving way, not as a command, but really as a coaxing, a suggestion, say to your body, soften, soften, soften. Now, you can put your hands over the sternum, just finding the place between the the U-shaped notch at the bottom of your sternum sternum, and the U-shaped notch in your collarbone. And if you measure about six fingers down from the collarbone, you'll find the heart center, which is pretty much in the middle of the chest. And see if you can begin to breathe into that center. Just letting the breath come in and touching the area behind the breastbone. And in a very relaxed way, allow your breath to target the heart, the heart center. Again, this is not the physical heart. It's the spiritual heart, which is in the center of the body behind the breastbone. and now bring your awareness as with the next breath begin to feel that your attention in this center moves backwards so that you are you're meditating on what i call the back of the heart center so it's the area just up against your spinal column And you can begin to imagine, if this is comfortable for you, that the breath is coming in through the front of the body, right through the sternum itself, as though they were opening there. So the breath is flowing directly into the heart center, finding its space towards the back. And just let that breath begin to open the heart. And I'm, I'm going to give you an English mantra that is a kind of an affirmation of the truth, which is, I am loved. So you can have that thought as you inhale into the heart, and then as you exhale have the thought i am love so i am loved and In the inhalation i am love on the exhalation feeling the breath flowing into the heart and flowing out from the heart And you can take a deep breath in, exhale, and just notice what's going on in your body. This is a very short session of meditation, but this this practice, which is extremely simple, can be extended kind of infinitely. And when you're ready, if you want, you can open your eyes.
0: Mm, so delicious. Thank you.
1: My pleasure. And um, thank you, Kilkenny. This was a lovely conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Sally, I'd love to have um, you please tell our listeners where people can find out. More about your your amazing and deep and
1: incredible work in this world. So I have a website, sallykempton.com, dot which is probably the best way. I also have a Facebook page called Sally Kempton Awakened Heart, but most information is on my website. And there are articles there. There's audio courses that you can download on very many subjects, including one on tantra. I teach a lot on. Uh, audio courses obviously now we all are teaching audio and zoom courses many of my courses are available through my website and i do new ones every couple of months so i'm beginning a a course in late november on patanjali yoga sutras which is really a it's it's very meditation focused Uh, we've already done two uh you know two classes on the the text itself and now we're moving into the the deep meditative part of it so it actually is a it's a it, that course is going to be a very good way to to develop a meditation habit
0: to find sally her website sallykempton.com is fabulous there's so many resources on that and as you said you continually are offering things that i'm constantly salivating over huh. and love doing with you when i can so check out her work there Sally is also so generously offering my Patreon supporters at the 5- and 10-month level her two luminous Awakened Heart meditations. And also the supporters at the $30 and $50 levels, those meditations plus her Finding Center meditation so check out her books, her two books I mentioned earlier. I'll have them in the show notes. She is an illuminative, profound teacher, and her books had literally changed my meditation game. So thank you so much, Sally, for really your lifetime of practices, your profound wisdom, your authenticity, and um, teaching that has really impacted generations of practitioners
1: like myself well thank you so much kilkenny and back at you thank you for your great work so it's Mm -hmm. so beautiful to be in this universal sangam together
0: (laughs) well it's a, a high honor namaste namaste have a great day all of you thank you for taking these words in I hope they ground, inform, and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path. If you like what you heard, please write me a review on whichever platform you are listening. Also, check out my exciting Patreon page at patreon.com slash modern mystic love, where I offer all sorts of uplifting yoga classes meditation classes and other amazing offerings from my guests on this podcast to all my incredible supporters. Even folks who donate at the $5 a month level are so appreciated as every cent helps this busy mama of three. Or check out my website modernmystic.love where you can purchase yoga videos of all levels with me ranging from gentle yoga up through advanced asana and also meditation videos there. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives, one breath at a time. Namaste.